Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast, brought to you alongside the awesome guys at Coan, the dedicated piece of OKR software. Uh, delighted to bring you what is the first in a mini-series of episodes all about culture and the, important, the importance of culture to OKRs um, and how you can start to, to measure and work with culture in your organization to, to really drive a higher impact from OKRs. Um, so I've got two fantastic guests joining me for the mini-series. Uh, Roger Longdon, founder of Derby Giants, who I'm sure you're all with, familiar with by now. But Roger, give us a quick intro. Yeah, sure, no problem. Hi, Lawrence, great to be back. Yes, um, for those that are only just joining us, uh, listening to Giant Talk for the first time, uh, I'm the founder of There Be Giants uh, and have been working in the field of OKRs for over six years now. Uh, and I, I really get that OKRs are much more than just about the process and the and the and the steps that you need to follow to 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 write a good OKR and so on and so forth. It's there's a whole piece around culture, and if culture isn't right, then you're not going to get the benefit from OKRs. So yeah, that's why I'm really pleased to be having this this chat with you today. Fantastic, thanks, Roger. And then of course we have. Georgia, who is the new head of our OKR culture practice at Derby Giants. Uh, Georgia Parker, thanks for joining us. Hi, both of you, and great to be here. Um, So, yeah, I'm really pleased now to be leading the OKR culture practice and helping organisations work out how or not their culture is supporting the implementation of OKRs, because as Roger said, the two things are so inextricably linked. And with my background of working across culture change and transformation and leadership development and whole organisation engagement, in a number of sectors from huge global corporates to small local charities, it's absolutely critical that we understand and get the, the, the importance of culture in relation to OKRs. Absolutely. And Roger, you've known Georgia for, for a little while now, right? So it's a big step for us to bring Georgia in and have the, the culture practice set up, right? Yeah, 10 years. 10 cool. years I've known Georgia. <laughs> Um, and I'd, I wouldn't have anybody else in that role. I'm super chuffed that she's with us. Thank you. Yes, all right. Absolutely. Cool. So, as I say, today is the first episode in this cultural mini-series, and, and really today we're going to be focusing on um, culture and the importance of measuring culture in your organisation, um, which is something that might sound a, a little bit kind of abstract or juxtaposed at first, but... Georgia, can you tell us why measuring and managing organisational culture is so important? I can, and there's kind of four points I'd like to make. And I'll start with a a quote from Peter Drucker, which many people will have heard, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And what that means in practice is an organisation can have fantastic um, strategic approaches to growth, to innovation, to product development, to expansion, to whatever it may be. But unless the culture is able to support the delivery of that strategy, it's not going to work. Secondly, we can't manage what we don't measure. And and culture is one of those things that appears to be unmeasurable because it's about how people feel, the experience they have in the organisation. Behaviours of of, um, leaders in particular really impact on that. But we have access to some great tools that allow culture to be measured 
and turn something that's very sort of subjective and hard to quantify into data and information that's really designed to open up different kinds of conversations and start to explore culture from a more objective perspective. I also think there are two kind of imperatives that make measuring and managing organisational culture so important. One of those is that there's just a weight of research that shows that the business imperative for having a healthy culture, um, whatever that may look like in an organisation, because of the impact that that has on the bottom line. So there's, you know, there's a business imperative for working on and with culture in organisations. And I also think there's a moral and ethical imperative from the perspective of being a good employer or being a good partner in other arrangements or having an impact in the sector or the community that you're serving as as an organisation. So I think those four kind of headline reasons are why measuring and managing culture is absolutely critical. Can I I just add a point in there? And that is, um, you know, the title of the most most, uh, prolific OKR book uh, that there has been yet to date is Measure What Matters. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the that's the title that John Doerr chose. Um, Mm -hmm. So if, you know, culture, as Georgia correctly says, um, you know, can can derail your strategy if you're not careful. So why would you not measure it? That's my yeah. question. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's again, it's uh, really interesting from a theoretical perspective. But in practice, what does that start to look like? And if you have any examples that you can throw in, Georgia, that'd be great. I think between me and Roger, we'd have more examples than could fill a podcast. <laughs> but, um, <clears throat> so just to give a flavour of what's possible, I was involved with um, a cultural values assessment across one of the big four consultancies, which was 240,000 people. And that was set up in 98 different languages. And it became a two-year project to actually digest and then respond to the data at a sufficiently kind of regional and um, team-based level. And then more typically, um, you know, a medium-sized business might begin some work uh, with culture with their senior leadership team, helping people align around what was important, perhaps um, carry out a cultural values assessment and invite every member of staff to participate and then work with that data to understand what cultural interventions are needed in order to create the cultural climate that will enable the organisation to succeed. Hmm. So that is a large scale example. Um, Do you have any from a kind of smaller team? I could give you an example of of a client situation um, last year with with 40 people. Um, Perfect. Each person was involved and engaged in a in a program, if you like, of workshops and um, some coaching, actually, for the for the senior leaders in that organisation as well. So that collectively, because it was a small and small enough organisation to do this with, everyone was involved in discussions and dialogue about the culture that they were experiencing, the current culture, and what they believe was needed to be successful from a values and behaviours perspective. So we always come at it from the values and behaviours perspective as well. 
And there are common themes that run across organisations around openness and transparency and agility very often that are absolutely in, in alignment with what OKRs require culturally to be successful. Absolutely. Um, Roger, we know obviously that you know, OKRs can be a huge change for organisations. Um, do you have any examples, though, from, from you know, your six years in the OKR world where the failure to really understand the organisational uh, culture at its very core has impacted on OKRs and the success of OKR implementations? Yeah, definitely. There was one that came to mind. Uh, uh, it was an organisation that had spun out of, um, or actually a business that had spun out of a, a university. Uh, very research orientated. Uh, and still had quite a strong academic rather than uh, commercial um, uh, culture in it. Now, uh, those, uh, the leaders, the leadership were very much focused on commercializing, you know, the work that they were doing. But um, should we say the wider teams were not really, uh, they weren't quite getting it. And there was a failure on the part of the leadership to understand the culture that they were working with. And they really tried to sort of railroad OKRs in with a very clear diktat, you know, we must use these. It didn't work. It fell flat on its face and OKRs became um, a dirty word or a dirty term. Um, So an inability i think that's a really good example of of how a leadership were just just completely failed to read their audience and understand the culture in the wider organization i'm not saying that okrs couldn't have gone in there i think they definitely could have but they needed a very very specific approach to the change management uh, in order to win over uh, and 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 gain the support of of the wider audience, and to do that, the best chance at doing that is well, really, the first step is understanding the culture that you're working with. Absolutely. So, why why is change so hard to actually achieve, then, Georgia? Ah, that's a good question, Lawrence. <laughs> if I had a simple answer to that, I think I would be very wealthy by now. Uh, And there's a fundamental piece around how humans work. And essentially, we're programmed to resist and to avoid change. The neuroscience shows us that. Um, Learning new stuff, behaving differently, operating outside of our comfort zone takes up more energy, more focus, more concentration. And our, our, our bodies are basically set up to try and maintain the status quo because it's more energy efficient. So that's a sort of very science-based and quite brutal approach to it and of course you know individuals are different within their range of responses to change some people uh, are much more up for it some people are not for all sorts of different personal reasons and the truth is it takes a lot of additional effort and focus to lead and manage change consciously we have to do a lot more as leaders than perhaps we might imagine it's not simply simply implementing a, a project plan and hoping it's it's going to work. There's a, there's a lot to think through around alignment, the change story, ways to engage people, ways to understand what blocks and barriers may be culturally, and how to work through those. So that, that there's a lot in that. 
So what we're really talking about in the broadest sense there about making that change hard to achieve is, is resistance. Resistance mm. at different levels, resistance showing up in different ways. Mm. Um, and I'm, I'm sure we've all encountered resistance at some point, both in our personal and business lives. But how have you seen it show up in people's behaviour, Georgia? And how can you spot that resistance within organisations? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question, Lawrence, because it does vary from organisation to organisation. And I think that there are some current, some kind of common patterns as well that can happen. And essentially, it's things not happening. As, as Roger just shared with us with the example, you know, the, the teams in that organisation just weren't set up and understanding what OKRs were and what was required of them and... and um, why they were why they were going to be something good. So resistance can be things like just confusion or conflicting agendas, particularly if leadership teams aren't aligned around OKRs um, being a priority for the organisation. If there isn't a coherent story, a change story, a, a platform from which people can understand why this is necessary and what it's going to mean. And then, you know, all sorts of individual behaviours can show up as blocks and barriers, not turning up to meetings, changing agreed OKRs, um, and then coming back and imposing them on people, um, just not carrying out, you know, actions that were agreed to, uh, all sorts of stuff that is, is common in organisations anyway, and, and often, you know, is deeply frustrating and very time consuming to deal with, because then we end up kind of creating workarounds and that and that cultural block then persists so if you're feeling any of that kind of stuff is going on uh, there's probably some resistance to change in the organization yeah really, or another really interesting i'm sure people start to uh, be able to identify with some of those features you pointed out mm. uh, and there's no doubt then that resistance can be well, inevitably very disruptive to not just change management programs, but everyday working life, I suppose. But I guess, Roger, what does this mean for an OKR project, an OKR implementation plan? Um, and, and how can we start to take steps to reduce that resistance that we might meet along the way? Again, it comes back to how you manage the change. Um you know what we see in terms of how you uh, can can uh, work in implementation is it's often a really good idea to do a small control group, a pilot, if you will, to start off with. And you know this worked with one of our large clients that uh, uh, we, we've um, uh, we've done the project with, done a pilot project with over the past um, uh, the three or four months, where a very very visible strategic project uh, uh, took on board okrs and the, uh, the 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 feedback that came from the team to out to the wider the wider organization was that they were massively more engaged massively more focused and and the the whole organization both um not just the leadership but the whole organization was seeing not just better results, but also better quality reporting that was coming out of uh, that group. And it was far more transparent. And they were, you know, doing the usual thing around not just looking at progress, but also discussing confidence as well to complete so that they became more agile in their forward planning because they knew where they'd finish before they got to the finish, that sort of thing. But the, the, from, from a, 
from uh, uh, you know working with uh, or trying to minimize resistance points of view what the impact had that this that, that this approach uh, had was that there was the, the demand uh, was actually being pulled okay the rest of the organization was saying when are we going to get okay hours when are we going to be able to start to work in this way and so that makes the change far far easier because it's like I say, the change is being pulled rather than, you know, it being pushed onto people, which is when you would expect to see uh, the, the highest levels of resistance. So my recommendation would be start small, build up really, really good um, uh, uh, evidence, really good demonstrations of how it's working and the impact it's having, and then that will then generate demand across the rest of the organization and that will pull the change rather than it being pushed on them. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs. Helps your team achieve their objectives and key results, helps them get aligned and it helps them stay engaged. Shared spreadsheets simply don't scale when you're using OKRs properly and you're not going to have a maximum impact with them. But with Koan, you can scale your OKRs right across your entire company, keeping your team super motivated and moving everybody in the right direction. Roger, what's one of your favourite features about Koan? So the thing that I really love about Koan and have done ever since uh, I first saw it was how it really puts the conversation around OKRs at the heart of the system and it really helps stimulate that, which obviously brings really good collaboration. You know, they've got this uh, reflections feature which uh, helps... Uh, individuals really prepare for the uh, the team conversation which is going to come up where the collaboration is going to take place so I, 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 that would definitely be the thing for me which is the the killer feature of the system that's really interesting and i suppose just to go back to what you were saying at, at the beginning of that which was about the work that we've been doing with this this client we're working with at the moment um I, I would term that as kind of as cultural due, due diligence. Um, <laughs> Good what, term. what are the what are the risks? What are the risks for an organisation not doing that um, and just ploughing straight on with an OKR implementation? Well, especially but, but, uh, you know the, the larger types. Yeah, exactly. I think I think and disagree with me if you think otherwise, George. But I think that um, uh, leadership teams often forget that there's only a finite amount of goodwill in an organisation. Mm. It's almost like what's the goodwill bank account? What's the balance in the goodwill bank account at the moment? Because it can go up and down. It can go yeah. up and down, but you can burn through a lot of it if you try and railroad a. Uh, a major change like OKRs into an organization or into teams that don't really see the point and don't really want it. I mean, that example of that, uh, that, uh, or that business that I mentioned earlier that had spun out of the university, the wider audience clearly didn't see the value in it uh, and, and, and didn't get it. And that was a failure of, of leadership. Um, Incidentally, mm. we didn't didn't do an implementation there. We only did one day's consultancy, and they uh, uh, because that's all they wanted. Um, but uh, yeah, so it, it was um, uh, yeah that that would that that that's 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 my thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree, Roger. And I would use the term discretionary effort 
And what happens is when people feel all the things that they may feel in relation to, you know, not understanding or not wanting to do this or not having the time, actually they, they, we will withdraw our discretionary effort. And in practice, what that means is the current status quo of operational norms and priorities will prevail because change requires additional effort and additional input. Um, particularly in a transition period of, you know, getting OKR set up and um, however the organisation is going to design that for itself and whatever resource it's going to, you know, train up and allocate to work on that, those people are having to put in discretionary effort. And many people will do that incredibly willingly with high energy and high commitment when they understand why, what's expected of them and what the purpose of doing this is. Without that, that's a high risk, but it, it just won't stick. So here's a question to both of you then, and, and I'll throw it to you first, please, Georgia. And you know, 2020 has been this year of change monumentally around the globe, um, from everything from how we live our day-to-day lives to being able to go to the supermarket, being able to go to the pub, and of course, how we work uh, mm. and, and our ways of working. Um which means, you know, when we've done webinars and things, there have been a lot of questions about is culture now more important than ever? But to bring that back into what we're talking about here and talking about measuring culture, mm-hmm. would you say that really now is the time to measure the culture within your organisation and, and it probably is more important than it's ever been or not? Yeah, I would. And I've been saying that since the beginning of lockdown. <laughs> the, the, the danger is that once an organisation or a team and individuals have have become used to a different way of working. So, for example, working from home or actually some people have been beginning beginning to transition back into the office or the workplace and may now be be getting sent home again. Mm -hmm. I think relying on the prevailing culture pre-pandemic to still be in place is foolish because individuals have been through so much change on a personal basis and particularly where people are used to in the main coming into a building seeing each other working together a lot of that has changed which means people are continually in their family culture whatever their living arrangements may be their circumstances may be and there isn't such a clear differentiation for quite a lot of people anymore and our working routines and patterns have changed as well so you know someone who used to have a 45 minute commute in the morning and that was kind of their bit of space and time for them or on the way home doesn't have that anymore so that increases you know um just different factors that impact on people whether they find their new working arrangement uh, better or worse or it's still changing it it takes a lot from people Um, and there's more of it to come so I actually think really keeping a check on culture and being as inclusive and, and, and as involving of people as possible in talking about that is really critical during this period and truthfully in my personal opinion for quite a long time to come as well yeah um what i I completely agree with all that georgia and i'd add to what i'd add to it is you know the uh, certainly during lockdown and maybe as now it's you know we're kind of kind of urging sort of heading back towards not necessarily full lockdown but certainly similar Mm. messages uh, as as we're around at that time 
you know, people that start to become really focused on what they need to do to keep themselves and those that they care for safe. Mm. And that, you know, we talk about values being pretty much fixed unless there's a major significant shift or change or disruption. I'd argue that COVID has been such a disruption, certainly in, certainly in the short term. And for what this means for, for organizations, and let's just bring this back to OKRs, if you want OKRs to really fly, you need to get uh, a degree of stretch into them, into yeah. pretty much most of them. Yeah, certainly aspirational ones, committed ones, not so much, but certainly aspirational ones. Now, the thing is, if you've got a workforce or a team which with members in it who are really preoccupied with their own safety and making sure that their their families are safe and those that they care for are safe, then it's going to be really, really difficult to get them to raise their thinking into something akin to what do we need to do to push this even further? Mm. Yeah. And, and so the challenge for leadership in that situation is to make sure that they are um, managing their ex- expectations appropriately and calibrating, you might say, any OKRs uh, as, as necessary. And what I mean, you know, bottom line with that is certainly in the early stages when we were locked down and like I say, maybe you know, we're getting back to the, the, a similar sort of, you know, message and, and, and situation uh, uh, now. But I'd, I'd be, uh, the challenge for, 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 for leadership is to make sure that they are calibrating their OKRs appropriately. In other words, don't expect people to rise to the challenge perhaps as much as they might have done under normal circumstances. Mm. I'll, I'll add a bit more to that if I may. <laughs> Well, I think that's very wise advice. And I also think that there does need to be a conscious shift in leadership style to engage with and connect with people on a level of human caring and over and above perhaps Mm. performance or the two need to sit alongside each other in order for people to feel reassured and cared enough about and safe enough. Um, And we we talk about psychological safety quite a lot as well. And we will will continue to do that in um, another uh, podcast. Um, leaders need to pay attention to that and and not imagine or expect that their people, their teams can deliver the same consistent level of stretch and growth and performance challenge as perhaps they've been used to. Absolutely. So everything we've described so far has been about the importance of measuring culture. And I think the three of us are very much agreed, um, that it is important and that organisations should be doing it now more than ever. Um, what we've not actually touched on is how can our listeners go about that? So, you know, how can they actually measure the culture in their organisation and, and where should it be defined, Georgia? That's actually quite a straightforward question to answer. We have access to a, a great suite of tools that we use called the Cultural Transformation Tools. Um, which allow us to measure culture through a values-based framework at the kind of large-scale example I told you about earlier on with 240,000 people or down to a team of, of six or even on an individual basis for a leader. So the starting point for that is often um, a really key conversation with a client around 
where should that begin? Should it be whole organisation? Should it start at the top with the leadership team and help them build and understand and align around a, a kind of collective view of the current culture and what's needed and wanted to move forward? Um, and then, you know, my advice is always engage as many people as possible um, in having those mm. discussions and that conversation and let people define for themselves. It's often very noticeable that the senior leadership team's view of culture can feel quite different than those who are in a different region or not in head office or working from home or in a, in a you know, who are not connected into um the kind of HQ function. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so just to bring it back around to OKRs then, um, Roger, we know that OKRs are all about focusing on on growth goals. And as you just mentioned, there might be a case of limiting the stretch at the moment, given the current climate. But would you actually advise um, bringing in the measurement and management of change in culture into an organization's OKRs? Can they feature there? I believe uh, they can. I believe it, it can. You know, from what George has just said about the tools that we can use, which can generate very, very clear data on the presence of uh, the values in the organization, uh, some of those values may be desired ones. Uh, some of them may be not quite so desired. So you know, it's not if you want to see change in culture and therefore change in values, this is not something that I would expect to see happen uh, massively quarter on quarter. This is perhaps something which I would uh, say is uh, more appropriate as a uh, as, as perhaps a 12-month OKR mm. uh, with a series mm. of ac- activities, with a series of um, uh, supporting OKRs uh, at, at quarterly level, which are all aimed at it moving that big needle, um, which would be the tools that we'd use probably on an annual basis to look at how things how things are running. And many organisations have done that prior to, or you know, not involving OKRs. So there's there's lots of track record and experience around um, bringing, I think, potentially bringing those two things together. And I think that would be so powerful. For any business to do yeah yeah i completely agree absolutely mm. i think it plays quite a vital part in, in company level of chaos to be honest mm. um, yeah absolutely guys thank you so much for a fascinating discussion that that has been um superb and you know a, a little bit of a different flavor as well to our usual podcast so i'm sure the listeners will have um you know really enjoyed it do either of you have any final thoughts that you want to just throw in there um, what I would say is, <laughs> what I would say is, you know, culture's always been absolutely paramount for leaders to manage, but so many of them have struggled with it because it's so nebulous. You know, everybody feels it, but it's really difficult to kind of get a grip of it and actually manage it. We're now at that point where that can be done. And as Georgia said earlier, you know, you can, what, what you can measure, you can manage. Uh, and you know, yeah. to come back to John, the point that I made earlier, to come back to John's, the title of John's book, measure what matters. And culture should matter more than anything, because if your culture's not right, you're definitely not going to be as profitable as you could be. Mm. It's quite simple. Yeah. My, my last thoughts would be, 
just come and talk to us <laughs> if you're <laughs> sure about whether or not the kind of culture's in the right place or uh, you just want to understand and, and get a kind of, um, you know, a thinking partner even around where, where things are at, just come and talk to us. Yeah, we're a friendly bunch. We are. <laughs> we are. Um, right. Fantastic. Thank you, guys. Um, make sure you join us for the second episode, uh, everybody, of this mini-series where we're going to be talking about psychological safety. Um, so digging into um, culture a little bit further and focusing in on so- psychological safety and why it's so important when it comes to OKRs. Um, promise you that it's going to be well worth tuning into. Uh, so thank you again to Roger and Georgia for joining us on the podcast. Uh, this was Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast, brought to you alongside the awesome guys at Coan. Until next time, speak to you soon and stay safe.